This is Learn It From An 80s Song. I am your coach, Patricia Freiberg. This is I Love the 80s meets the healing of storytelling and the positive impact of music. Inspiring guests share their powerful stories, yielding incredible strengths. Through both story and music, this podcast will elevate your mood, providing you with a positive outlook. It will ignite recall so that you can tap into your own life experiences. We don't just hear the knowledge and wisdom gained from our podcast guests. Through powerful story, we can live it. Today, we have a brave and inspiring guest, Rosie Aiello. Rosie shares her story of how she escaped from the Middle East to save her daughter's life and leave 25 years of domestic violence. When she landed in the U.S., she started her own business. She became a podcaster, public speaker, and an award-winning international entrepreneur, best-selling co-author, and found the love of her life. Rosie helps women worldwide reclaim their voice, value, create confidence and courage so that they can have a joyful and productive life that they deserve. July 27th is National Love is Kind Day. This is an international event that was founded by Rosie and her daughter. The movement inspires 100 million plus women and their children to release the shackles of abuse so that they can reclaim their lives. Her mission is that we create kinder, intimate relationships, kinder families, kinder communities, and then therefore a kinder world. Welcome, Rosie. It's so great to have you here today. Oh, thank you. I'm excited, Patricia. (laughs) I love how we got to meet through Podopolo, an online platform that really audience, if you haven't checked it out, you really need to, where we all get to, you know, talk to you. So it's really a social networking of podcasters. And so I had the privilege of getting to meet uh, Rosie through Podopolo, and I'm grateful for that. And as I mentioned in the intro, she has the most incredible story to tell us today. And I just, I can't wait to get started. But before we do, this is the part of the show that we talk about what song best resonates with Rosie's story. So can I get a drum roll, please? Rosie, what song best resonates with the story you're going to tell us today? Wind Beneath My Wings. Yes. Oh my gosh. So I did some research on this song. And so as you guys know, I talk about it all the time. My prep is to listen to the song on repeat. And I probably listened to it about six times today already. And um, without crying, (laughs) almost. One time it kind of got me. And I got goosebumps from head to toe. Bette Midler, 1989. So here's the story behind this one. I want to take you through the lineage of this song. So 
here's how it all began. Larry Henley and uh, had written a poem for his ex-wife that was titled, I believe, Wind Beneath My Wings. And his co-partner, uh, Jeff uh, Silver, came over and they were writing, trying to write a song for Bob Seger. Well, Silver saw the title of the song and said, you know, or title of the poem and said, well, what's that? It was on a yellow, you know, legal pad. And so that's when they started to write the lyrics to the song. Now it didn't reference the poem at all, but it had the title. And so Henley and Silver wrote the song and they brought it to some artists to see if they wanted to use it. Well, um, the first commercial recording of this song, and I listened to this one as well today, was Roger Whitaker. And it was more of like that, you know, nice country folky sound. And it was, uh, that was released in 1982. Then an Australian artist, Colleen uh, Hewitt, then did the song around the same time, I think 82 as well. Then it was recorded again by Lou Rawls and it hit number 10 on the Mm -hmm. Billboard Adult Contemporary, Gladys Knight and the Pips. Uh, They titled it Hero, but it became number 23 on the Billboard charts. Gary Morris did it, country charts. I think it's number four on that one. Then 1989, Bette Midler... And it was a smash hit. It was number one. It won Grammys in 1990 because the song came out in 1989. But in 1990, it got record of the year. It got song of the year. And it was from the soundtrack on uh, Beaches, which I actually listened to this morning as well. And Beaches, if you remember the movie, I mean, how can you not remember the movie if you saw it? Ugly cry for the entire movie. Honestly, like I didn't bring Kleenexes. I remember watching it and my sleeves, I was, you know, snorting through the entire movie. And then of course, Bette breaks out when that song, which makes you just cry even more. Honestly, I can't imagine, I listened to the other artists singing the song and it just feels like that song was made for Bette, right? That song was just made for her and it's just incredible. Yeah. Her voice, I didn't even realize until now that, you know, all those other people that sang it because, you know, it was the 80s, right? It's the 80s song. And she was in, well, I guess the other two were in the early 80s, but yeah, it's her voice, it's her rendition. Um, Yes. That was the only, that was the voice that I had in my head. Me too. Yeah. Same here. I had no idea when I went to do the research on it, like I do on all the songs. And I got this from Wikipedia. I I was blown away. I was like, wow, this is so interesting. I want to hear all the different other, you know, ones, but then I had to go back. Um, it's almost like a flavor, right? It, it's like, I had to go back and listen to the bet version before I came onto the podcast. Cause I wanted to remember her voice in it. Cause I knew that's who you were uh, speaking of. So, uh, Ooh. very good. Well, Rosie, tell us your story. <laughs> My story from the beginning. <laughs> Take it from the top. Yes. Yeah. Well, I just, I'll just say briefly. So I was I married uh, a Christian Lebanese who I met in the United States. He was from Lebanon, and we, but he was working at the time in Saudi Arabia. So immediately we moved to, to Saudi Arabia, and I, we were married for almost 25 years. And truly from the get-go, it was a very verbally, emotional, psychologically, financial, with a touch of sexual and physical abuse for the whole mm. 25 years. Wow. 
And I really lost who I was that during that time. And then my daughter, who was a junior at the American University of Beirut, we had moved from Saudi Arabia to Lebanon and so to be closer to his family. So she had some family to, to grow up with. And when she became an adolescent, he started to treat her the same way as he started to treat, as he was treating me, very abusive to her. And, you know, and when you're a child, an adolescent, that's the time you kind of break free from your fam- your parents and try to yes. show your independence. And, and that he didn't want, he didn't like that, her being herself, you know, becoming her own person. Um, so he really tried to crush her, you know, emotionally. Mm-hmm. So, but in, in the Middle East, there are no, there, there's no custody laws. I mean, there's no custody battle. The child, go, you know, there's, there's already a law in place. Under the age of seven, they, you know, they can stay with the mother. But after the age of seven, the father automatically has custody if they want it. So really? there was, yeah, so there was no way in heaven I was going to do anything to jeopardize losing my daughter. So I waited until she became major, you know, at the age of 18. And then by then she was at the university. And then when she was just... Um, how maybe uh, she was just, she was 20. She was almost 21. She was 20. She was 20. And she came rushing home to me one day and she says, mom, you got to, you got to get me away from my abusive father. And so within four months, I planned the escape of our lives. Wow. I'm thinking about your story and, and how did you do that? How did you plan the escape? Did you have to, you know, get enough money? Did you have to do some secretive, like, you know, major secret stuff. Yes. How did you do it? Yeah. You know, it's interesting, you know, we're writing a memoir and I think I've written 40 pages on it. I tell you, when I think back, I don't even know how I did. I think I was just being watched over because I was, uh, again, I was in Lebanon. We were in a um, small, what I would call condominium, you know, flat type building. There were six built, you know, six homes there in that apartment, uh, that complex. So, uh, and then on top of that, uh, and he worked primarily at home 24 seven, we had a, a, a live-in maid, okay. That I had to hide from as well. Couldn't let her know what was going on. Wow. Uh, couldn't, I couldn't let the neighbors know, couldn't had, and you know, so plus we had uh, electricity shortages and we were on the third and fourth floor. We had two, two, two floors. So, you know, upstairs, downstairs kind of thing. So, yes. So I was started to secretly pack things and I talked to two friends of mine in, in Lebanon. Uh, They're both Americans. One was married to a Lebanese, one was married to a, a British guy. And I, I, cause I needed their help. I, you know, I, I just needed their help. And so I secretly, I got boxes from the grocery store, put those in the car. I, I, I didn't even know how I brought them up to the, you know, my apartment and, you know, my uh, place, Yeah. put them in the secret and put them in the, a guest bathroom, which was my bathroom, locked the door, did some packing. Then when he wasn't around, when I had electricity, because if there was no electricity, I couldn't use the elevator. Wow. So I had all, I had to time all of that. So I had to time when he was not around, when the maid wasn't around, when I had electricity. And then, you know, when I could get out and take a box. So one box, two boxes here and there for four months. Wow. And, you know, prior to that, I was married, you know, almost 25 years and nobody knew I was in an abusive relationship except my brother, 
my and my two best friends in the United States. So for and that was after 18 years of marriage when I read a book and just learned about it. I didn't know I was even in an abusive relationship, Patricia. Right. And that's what I've been finding when I'm working with this woman. They don't even know it. It's just like it just slaps you and it's like, oh my God, this is what I've been living with. Right. Because it becomes like almost normal. Like it becomes does it do you think it like kind of starts gradually and then it just increases or you know, well, it it's set in their ways and as well, we get older. It's not exactly like that, but it, it does get worse over time. It's mm-hmm. just that you're not expecting it. And it's so insidious. These, mm-hmm. these, these cuts at you. And, you know, I was a high performing manager at, at a Silicon Valley company before I met him, you know, and yes. finance. So none of the women I've ever spoken to are, are stupid. They're all pretty smart women, Absolutely. except that they just kind of, they cut at you. They insult you. They put you down. They, they start to make you doubt your, your doubt yourself. So you're always questioning yourself. And so you just start to feel like you're crazy. Like what's mm-hmm. going on? And you try to, because you're usually high performing, it's like, oh, I can figure this out. I can do this. I can please them. I can figure this out. You know, I know how right. to do things but it doesn't work that way. And then you're just diminished and diminished and diminished until really I was just a shell of myself, mm. Mm. just a shell. And I've been waiting for my daughter to kind of give me the signal, you know, it's time to go kind of thing. Cause I didn't want to ruin her life, but her life was being ruined. But then again, right. I couldn't leave without her. He already to this day thinks I kidnapped her. Wow. You know, and she was almost 21, you know? <laughs> Wow. I mean, what a strong daughter you have that, you know, she, you know, in the university was at the university and then she came to you and, and she could be that outside observer, you know, and, and she feared her for her life and yours. Definitely. You know, it was interesting when she was little, maybe I think from the age of seven, because there was just three of us, I don't have any other children and children know and see everything right? No matter how much you try to think you can hide it. So he could, you know, he would be saying something to me at the dinner table and she would say to him, Papa, you know, that's not nice. Don't, don't say that to mama. And he would, then he started to call her mama's little lawyer. Wow. So she was, I felt embarrassed. I go here, I am remaining mute. And my seven-year-old daughter is defending me. Now I remain mute because I knew if I said anything it would escalate and would make Mm -hmm. things worse. Of course, she didn't know that, but I knew that. But, you know, I felt like crap, right? Yeah. You know, you have your child defending you. And he thought that was, you know, everyone kind of laughed. Oh, you know, mama's little lawyer until she became, like I said, an adolescent. And then he didn't think, oh, I don't like this independent thinking. Right. Um, Wow. And what was it like? Okay, so that day, like walk us through the day that you left. Oh, <laughs> I want to, okay. what time was it? What would it look like? You know, the day that we left, I remember, you know, getting in into the taxi that would take us to the airport and, you know, and my, my daughter, you know, I got in the back seat. My daughter was already in the car and my husband was in the front seat. All three of us were going to the United States. Now I knew that only one was going to be coming back to Lebanon. But the three of us went to the United States and, and that was all part of the plan because we would often go to the United States for the summer or for a summer visit so I could visit my family and friends. And, and we met there. So he knew people here too. So I had to figure out some device, you know, it's kind of like 
not that I would ever liken myself to um, Viktor Frankl, who wrote A Man's Search for Meaning, but he, how did he get out? How did he escape? He escaped in plain sight. You know, he stripped himself mm-hmm. naked, got buried himself in a, in a truck full of naked dead bodies. That's how he escaped. Wow. So I escaped in plain sight. <laughs> I also knew he doesn't like public attention on him, especially if it's negative. So there's a lot of parts to that, but let me tell you when we were on, and there are no flight direct flights from Beirut to the United States. We had, we, we went to Paris. So we had to stop in Paris. We were actually there a couple of days. And then we went from Paris to San Francisco. It's, you know, one, one flight, Paris, San Francisco. And I had at that time, my brother was helping me because my brain was like fried. Yes. You know, on a scale of one to 10 for stress, it was probably like 110. I bet. And, you know, your prefrontal cortex, nothing is working for, for planning and things like that. So my brother was going to meet me at the airport. I knew exactly where he was going to be. It wasn't like I had to search. I knew exactly what position he was going to be. So we go through the, we open the gates, you know, how the gates open up when you leave. And we, my, we each had a little cart with our luggage. And then my daughter and I push our carts behind my brother and kind of leave my, my, uh, my husband there. And I was so terrified of my husband. I had my brother walk over to him and say, Rosie's upset. She needs some time alone. I couldn't even have my brother say, he's leaving you forever. I, I mean, it took a lot of therapy uh, for me to be able to even voice that. I had yes. so much fear. And some other things happened. And then my daughter, my brother and I turned our backs and walked out and left him standing alone in the middle of the busy airport. Wow. Wow. All right. Props to brother, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. He was and, and amazing. And yeah. your bravery is just and so inspiring, Rosie, honestly. Well, you know, you you do what you need to do. And 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 I, you know, as I look at it, it's like it's oh my God, you know, I can't even believe what I did, but it was just like I just I just did it. Because like escape 101 is that you don't tell the person you're going to leave yes. plus because they can get more violent. And he was right. getting more violent as, as time went on Two, he could have kept me there. Mm. So it's, it's not like here in the United States where you've got, you know, some more Liberty, but there, if I told him and he said he would have made it so hard and the country is so tiny, Patricia. And this was before I had, we really had the internet. I couldn't go to a, um, a travel agent. They all, you know, know my, I, my ID card said my name, but it says wife of. Oh. So that's how the ID card is. So it'd be, wow. how am I going to make, how can I make a, a, a reservation? How am I going to get out of the house? How, you know, there was just like, uh, so it was a lot of calculating and trying to figure it out and, and how for four months I was emptying the house. Just, I mean, it was just a little bit things, you know, a few clothes and some photos and really not that much. Yes. When you come to think about it. Yes. Uh, it was really nothing. I mean, we left a lot there, obviously. Right. And it's like in those moments, what you what your needs are and what you want to bring with you is just your daughter, really. Right. Yeah. And yeah. At, at that time, at that moment, it becomes abundantly clear about what your needs are. I, I just, the only thing I can liken that too is uh, escaping, you know, uh, from fires, you know, here in mm-hmm. Southern California. Mm-hmm. And it becomes so clear, you know, the, the things that you want to bring with you, but what you're most concerned with is your family, your animals, 
you know, mm-hmm. and, and maybe s- some of the baby stuff, right. Just, and, yeah. uh, during the evacuations, but that's the only yeah. thing I can think of, but that is just that clarity that really, this is all I need. You know, yeah. all I need is, is the people around me and my, and my animals. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Others, other things, there's just, it's just stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just stuff. And you realize you don't really need stuff. Yes. So, wow. mm-hmm. Yeah. So how was it um, coming back to the U S and, and then also how does it resonate uh, with the song that you chose today? So after we landed, we, um, we were both diagnosed with PTSD and my daughter with complex PTSD. And uh, we moved, we were first with my brother in Davis, and then we moved to San Francisco where my attorney was. And I'll never forget, I was standing on a street corner in San Francisco and hearing American men, you know, because I lived in the Middle East. I mean, I, I didn't hear very many American accents for men, my girlfriends, but not the men so much. And I just remember, you know, just like, it just sounded, one, it sounded so foreign and two, it was scary. Mm. You know, I was afraid of, I was afraid of all men. I just, I put all men in one bucket. They're all bad. They're going to control me. They're going to hurt me. That was my thinking when I first landed because I just had such great fear. Mm -hmm. And it's taken a while to get through that, right? To, to do that. But (laughs) <laughs> I also knew, you know, as I was healing and looking at my life that I wanted to share my life with somebody. I wanted to share experiences mm-hmm. with somebody else. And one of my primary values is kindness. And that's in and you know, my business is called the Love is Kind Network because I wanted to focus on what it is that I wanted. What do we want? You know, women who've been, we want kindness. Mm-hmm. So as I started to more seriously, I did some dating, but it was like, I told the guy, not for long-term, just, you know, if you're interested for that, forget it. You know, I was just getting my, my feet wet, right? And then there was a point when I was ready to be more serious. And I thought, I'm going to stop looking for somebody to not control me and hurt me. I'm going to start looking for somebody who's kind to me. Mm-hmm. So I just changed my perspective. And the next guy I met, in his profile, he said kindness was his primary value. <gasps> oh, I just got goosebumps. <laughs> and I'm going to, oh my God, I've never cried about this part. <laughs> And then, you know, and we wrote, I mean, what's so nice about this is that we wrote to each other, even though we're like 20 minutes away for a month, because I wanted that safety. I was tired of going on a date right away and, you know, wanting to have, you know, they wanted to have sex. I just, I just, I would shifted everything before I was with this guy for some reason. And, and before I met him, God only knows I wrote to him just based on this picture, I go, I could stare at you the rest of my life. Mm. Why would somebody, why would I write that? Right. That was so bizarre. And he, I found out later, he wanted to write a long time too, because he wanted, he didn't want to see me for the first time and make it like a blind date. He wanted it more like work, almost friends. And that's how it was. So our first date was five hours. Wow. And then, you know, we started to continue to see each other. And my daughter and I, we're starting to write our memoir. 
I ended up writing 90% of that memoir at his house. Oh, wow. Because he created the safety. He created the love. He created the kindness. I had a calm mind around him. And that's why. And every day he's the wind beneath my wings. Oh my gosh. That's so incredible. Um, uh, our listeners out there, I mean, just the, just the safety that, you know, she felt, you know, after all of those years, you know, Rosie, after all of those years of, of, you know, good PTSD, and then here's this man who comes in with who's kind, like your soul, you know, you've got the kindest soul. And I, that's evident when you meet Rosie in person or in person by in person, I mean, virtually, because that's all, that's all like the contact we have these days, but, yeah. By, <laughs> yeah. but, um, but when you meet her, I mean, she, she exudes, you know, this, this positivity and this warmth and, um, and I was drawn to her right away because of the, who she is. I could, it's just, it's, it's right there. And to have this man come into her life and into your life, Rosie, and, and be so compassionate and that you felt the safety to write it, you know, right there with him in his house just speaks volumes of, of your journey and this incredible man. Yeah. And, and that's what our our relationship is just, I mean, it's just like every day I feel peace, love, joy, and kindness from him. You know, he supports me, you know, it's just like, he's like the anchor. He's the wind. I mean, it's, it's he's just, it's, that's why the song is so perfect because I am on this global mission and he's mm-hmm. just kind of, you know, he doesn't like to be out in the limelight, but he is there holding me up in every, every imaginable way. I, it's just like, there couldn't have been a better song to represent who he is to me and mm-hmm. how my life has evolved and how I am able to live this life mm-hmm. um, that I believe any woman can do because we can create it when you know how to yes. do that. Yes. Yeah. Love that. So uh, Rosie, this story is so powerful and it's very clear to me that you have an abundance of strengths that you were using during this time. And on the, on the episodes, we've been incorporating the VIA character strengths assessment, which is your uh, 24 characteristics and you, you discover your top strengths that are unique to you. And it really does represent the person to the core. You know, I've taken the test a couple times and, and I will tell you that my top 10, my top five have remained my top five and they may shift a little bit, but they're spot on. And what's um, amazing about it is that our, our brains are hardwired to see negativity. Yes. And what this does, what the VIA Strengths Assessment does is allow you to see your strengths and it's all rooted in positive psychology. And by seeing your strengths, you can then dial in, lean into those during obstacles and really uh, live in your strengths. Because a lot of us walk around with strength blindness. We don't even know what our strengths are. And by, by knowing this, you can start to spot how you continue to use them in your life and then lean into them during obstacles. So, you know, I have your top 10 here and I'm wondering, I'm going to read them off. If, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll read off uh, your top 10. Are you okay with that? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> so her number one is love, which I think we can all see this. And number two is love of learning. 
Hmm. Number three is spirituality. Number four is leadership. Uh, number, uh, and then you've got perspective and zest. Uh, then you've got honesty, kindness, appreciation of beauty and excellence, and social intelligence. So, you know, looking at your top strengths, you know, how do you feel that you use them uh, during your escape and then how you continue to use them now? You know, the first one, love, I think was finally um, having a little, at least a little bit, for sure, a lot of love for my daughter and her health and safety and love, a little bit of love for myself right? That was still had to be nurtured. And that's what I, so as far as today, it's, it's really loving myself and who I am and, 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 and being kind to myself. So the love of my daughter was really the love of my daughter got us through that escape period. Wow. I mean, hands yes. down, you know, yes. that was the focal point. And to that point is I remember, and I knew nothing, Patricia, about personal development or, or spirituality that I knew nothing, zero. But I had told myself during, especially during that escape period that my daughter and I deserve a happy and joyful life. Mm -hmm. I only have one life to live and I'm going to live it. So I said those mantras, which I know I learn are mantras probably a hundred times a day because I felt so guilty about leaving. Yes. And, um, and of course, and then now, you know, I have the love is kind movement, right? Yes. So this is, that's my work. Um, it's, and in and, and the tagline, I have a couple taglines, but I'm going to say a couple of them. So real love is kind. So real love is kind. Real love is kind, not terrorizing. That's, you know, you wow. shouldn't be afraid in your relationship. I mean, the women I speak to, they're in terror. Terror is being in a state of fear, right? Yeah. That's what terror is. You're in a state of fear. And that's what it is when you're in these abusive relationships. And then the whole thing about you deserve to be treated with kindness. And it starts by being kind to yourself and helping women, you know, the, the whole, the leadership part. I mean, I'm in a global movement right. to impact and inspire a hundred million women. So there's a leadership million. 100 million, which is really a drop in the bucket. I did research. There are 3.8 billion women in the, uh, in the world, I think, and 2.8 billion of them have had some aspect of abuse. Wow. 2.8 billion. So wow. 100 million women is just a tiny drop in the bucket. Yes. Will you tell our audience, you know, uh, I touched on it in the intro, but will you tell our audience a little bit about your July 27th event? Uh, oh, sure. So... July 27th is National Love is Kind Day. Now, just to give you some history on that, July 27th is the day my daughter and I landed in the United States and got our freedom. Wow. So it represents the, the uh, you know, freedom from abuse. It represents that we are, quote unquote, fighting for real love is kind. Mm -hmm. And then that, that's how the world to me is going to change. For women who have been in abusive relationships, the word love alone can be charged because we will have heard our abusers say, well, I do this because I love you, but you can't argue with kindness. Yes. You're either kind or you're not. Right. right. So I put them together and, mm. um, the love as kind movement is just to, you know, my dream is just, you know, have marches all over that 
we want to be treated, you know, we demand to be treated with kindness. We expect to be treated with kindness. We're going to be kind to ourselves. Yes. Real love is kind. That's, and when we're kind to one another, you know, as you know, the mission is to create kinder, intimate relationships, which would create kinder families, which would create a kinder community and a kinder world. That's when the world improves. People thrive on kindness. Yes. Not on hard lines, not on threats, not on demeaning. Mm-mm. And you spoke to it, you know, earlier, just about the prefrontal cortex, you know, when, you know, when we do experience that negativity, when we do experience trauma, you know, we, that's just completely shut down. So we're not really living in our best selves, but yeah. what kindness does in that positivity is that it broadens and builds. We gain perspective. And it's con- kindness is contagious. The more when I'm kind to you, it, then you're kind to someone else, and it creates this ripple effect that just continues. And I love that about kindness. And uh, and I love that you have this special day, July 27th. And I, I definitely want to have you back on, Rosie, as we get closer to that day because I want to participate, you know, in the support of that. And um, and love to have you you know, talk more about it uh, and um, come back to us because you have so much knowledge. You know, you have your 11 pillars uh, business as well. And I'd love for you to, you know, talk to us a little bit about that as well. Well, and that, that's, that's a good lead in because what, you know, I start with the, the woman because my target market are women. This obviously applies to men who've been in abusive relationships as well. But what does it mean to be kind to yourself? Because you can't be really truly kind to others or, ex- or receive kindness until you, you love yourself and you're kind to yourself. So being kind to yourself is in no shape or form being a pushover or being too nice. Being kind to yourself is not please, people pleasing. Being kind to yourself is knowing what you want in life. Being kind to yourself is having clear boundaries. Being kind to yourself is knowing your values. What yes. is important to you? Because women just like, We've just been told, especially, you know, if we've been married like a long time, you know, who we are. Right. Being kind to yourself is asking confidently for what you want. Being kind to yourself is learning to receive with grace. Mm-hmm. So this yeah. is, and you, you show up like, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. I'm not somebody else. And I get to be my whole true self, my authentic self. That's what kindness is, is being your true authentic self. Otherwise, people pleasing is just you're lying to yourself and you're lying to the other person. Right, right. But you don't even know you're doing it. That's the problem. Yeah. I didn't yeah. know I was doing it. Yeah. We just think, oh, we're the peacemakers. Oh, we, we just have to do that. Women just have to kind of cave in because that's what society is like. Yeah. And then you just keep bearing your, your true essence. Mm. That's not mm. being kind. Mm. Yeah. So this Gosh. is a important kindness. <laughs> it really is important. It really is important. And you know, I'm just thinking about as you're talking the through line for you, you know, from, from living, you know, in that for 25 years, landing in the U.S. and essentially starting this movement with your daughter and helping a hundred million people and then establishing a business that's based on helping women and self-compassion and being kind to others, being kind to yourself. And it's incredible to see the work that you have done, your life's work. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. Well, well, thank you. And, you know, we were talking about a little bit before, and I, mean, I think before we went on, it's like, how did this all happen? 
<laughs> you know, how did, how did I end up here? And when I first landed again, I didn't know anything. I just, I didn't, there was no plan B plan. I only had plan A. This escape was going to work. Yeah. It was, that's all I was focused on. It was going to work. So when I landed, I, I didn't know what I was going to do. And I landed in during the middle of the great recession. So I landed during the, in the great recession, 2009, and I'd been out of the market. You know, I was, I was in my starting on the other side of the, my fit, mid fifties, right? So it's 56, mm-hmm. 57. So I wasn't no spring chicken, <laughs> you know, and what is I going to do? So I started to do, I, um, I did planning productivity because I'm a pretty mm-hmm. good planner. Yes. Yes. <laughs> pretty good planner. And then when we started to write the memoir, everything started to shift. And one day I was taking a break from writing and I remember I was standing at my desk looking out the window and then I just hear this loud booming voice in my head and he said, why are you challenging me? So I go, well, look, you know, my conversation with God, I said, I agreed to sign this, you know, to work on this memoir. I didn't sign up for helping these women. <laughs> right. And he said, are, are you arguing with me? And I go, well, I guess kind of, sort of, maybe. <laughs> you yes. Know? You yes. know, I was scared a lot yes. <laughs> about swearing on the um, vineyard. I was really scared. I go, I go, who am I? He goes, are you doubting me? Oh, no. <laughs> you know, so yes. I was like, this little thing. He goes, I chose you. I chose you to lead these women to freedom, just wow. like Joan of Arc. I'm going, holy, holy crap. Not like Joan of Arc, please. You know? Right. And it was like, it was like that. And I go, yes. and I resisted for a while. It was like, it was too big of a mission for me. I, I didn't, I didn't know anything I felt. Right. And that's how it all started. It was that, that's what prompted this whole movement. Now you can't take me off of it, but you know, God knows best. <laughs> yes. And that links right into your, your strength, spirituality. Yeah. Um, and that really is the, the communion with the sacred and life meaning is the yeah. research behind it is people who have spirituality mm-hmm. have an increase in life meaning mm-hmm. and then compassion. And altruism is also linked to spirituality. Mm-hmm. And that right there says it all. And that is your number three strength. And then looking uh, down at perspective also, you know, your perspective is so important because of, of what you endured and coming back in the U.S. and your perspective coming back, your perspective before you left and the perspective of when you were there in that 25 years. But with perspective, you it really is about life engagement. Perspective is about life engagement. And the part I love about perspective, because I do have it in my top five, is that really it has successful aging. And I'm getting all this from Dr. Nemec's book on the via strengths, uh, character strengths and successful aging. Cause we do have perspective as having that strength as we age, we, we really, if we lean into it, it's like, we have so much wisdom and knowledge that we get to lean into. Right. Well, this is funny because I was just talking to somebody yesterday, you know, about that, that topic. And I told her, I go, look, I'm just an adolescent now. I'm just freaking starting my life. I mean, as, a, yes. as far as I'm concerned. And I, every day we just, I just say a little prayer that I'm living happy, healthy and with my guy, you know, until our hundreds. Yes. So talk about aging to me is just like, yeah, I've got all this life to live. 
I got a lot of work to do. I mean, a hundred million people is not going to happen overnight. <laughs> yes. Well, yes. Well, you yeah. put it out there, Rosie, and there's no doubt that is going to happen. So, and I, you know, I certain you've got my support. That's for sure. And our audience out there, this is a great time to talk about an action item for our audience, a takeaway. You know, what would your advice be? So much, but let me see if I can just kind of narrow it down. One, I always want to share my message that you deserve to be treated with kindness and it starts by being kind to yourself. So how can you be kinder to yourself? How can you start speaking your true voice? And if you have trouble with that, then that's when you need to reach out to somebody. And women you know, have so much self-doubt and I'm not enough and all of that. And all of that just has to be cleaned up. We have to help one another to not keep incorporating that belief, you know, that constant thought into our belief system. So I would, I would encourage women to start believing in themselves Mm -hmm. because they don't know how to get support through a coach or whatever. And to create a vision for their future, that you can create your life. You can create it. And it's step by step. And, and nowhere am I going to ever say to you, it's going to be a piece of cake. Yes. Right. But that's life. And mm-hmm. I like to liken it to, you know, I could have stayed and been working on creating somebody else's life. My husband's the one he had to find for me and struggle and, and, and be suicidal and everything else and suffer. Or I could be spending that time on me. Yeah, maybe I'm suffering or having some hard times, but I'm working on my life. Yes. It's my pain, but I get, I get, to, I get to experience the growth. Mm-hmm. You know, I get to experience the learning experiences. I get to you know, fail and succeed. Yes. All for me, right? And it's not being selfish. It's how you show up. When you show up as the real you, that's when people are attracted to you. That's when you can really own who you are in this life. Your, your life is just too precious. Absolutely. Absolutely. Beautiful words, beautiful advice, and creating that vision, practicing kindness on yourself so that we can better practice kindness to others as well. And exactly. um, love all of the action items uh, that you brought in today. And how do we get uh, a hold of you? You know, if people want to work with you, um, have experienced domestic violence, what is the best way to get a hold of you? Well, there are a couple ways. One, I would invite them to go to the website, theloveiskindnetwork.com, theloveiskindnetwork.com. And there is a, uh, a free guide they, they can get. It's, it's called the, the guidebook for the 11 Freedom Fulfillment Pillars. This is, this is what I followed to create the life that I have, including wow. finding the love of my life. Yes, your wind beneath your wings. Yeah, the wind so beneath beautiful. my wings. So and beautiful. I, and I do also have, for them to get started too, it's, it's a free assessment. It takes like four minutes. It's called the freedomfulfillmentquiz.com. And um, it just takes a minute. So it'll tell them where they're at and where they want to go in just four minutes. And they can set up an appointment with me to have a conversation. I, I just, I don't, I don't want any woman, you know, that I know of to, to just be sitting there thinking she can't do it, that, that this is, this is her lot in life, that mm-hmm. I'm going to be single for the rest of my life. I don't trust a man, you know, cause I got that, you know, I've been there. Yes, We're meant to be connected. And Absolutely. 
And I can't imagine a better person to be connected to Rosie. You do embrace, you know, you do, like I had mentioned before, kindness and love, you know, all of those uh, via strengths that you have really come out loud and clear in your messaging and who you are as a person. So I can't tell you how grateful I am that we've gotten to connect today and for you to share your vulnerability and to share your story that, you know, will inspire so many people. Oh, well, thank you. I just, I didn't mean to break up there, you know. I well, it's you just know, like so much to me and what how how my life has changed and how what a switch from the day I landed and so fearful of men to uh, to just, having that support. Yeah, I mean, I just look at him every day and I just like I can't even believe it. You know, I'll just stare at him. I he knows I stare at him. I <laughs> love it. Oh, so yeah. amazing. I, just I so love it. Yeah. Well, thank you. So good. Well, thank you so much. And then I'd love to have you back on again, especially as we get closer to your big event on July 27th. Um, So until then, guys, let's, we got our marching orders. We are all going to practice kindness and we're all going to go listen to the song Wind Beneath My Wings, Bette Midler. Feel free to explore the other versions. It was really interesting, but um but Bette Midler, I mean, that song was just made for her. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yes. Well, thanks again, Rosie. And until next time. Thank you so much for listening. We want to hear from you. First of all, tell us how these totally rad stories have inspired you. If you have a story with an 80 song inspiration, we want to hear it. You think this podcast is like totally tubular? Well, we would love your review. Stay connected with us on Podopolo and download the app today. Visit me at www.patriciafreiberg.com. Thank you, and we look forward to a double boost of inspiration next Motivational Music Monday.